This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. In 2002, superstar DJ Fatboy Slim organized a free beach party for his hometown of Brighton, England. 40,000 ravers were expected, but a quarter of a million turned up. Right Here, Right Now brings us the story behind dance music's most infamous gig. Join us as director and writer Jack Hutchcraft discusses not only what it is like to work with a super DJ like Fatboy Slim, but also how a freelance journalist with the courage of his convictions turned a great story idea into a successful first-time feature-length documentary. Stay tuned. Jack Hutchcraft, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Things are really good, thank you, Matthew. Nice to meet you. I'm, uh, I'm feeling, I'm on cloud nine today and have been for the whole month. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. It's, uh, I'm in Yorkshire, which I think you're originally from, aren't you? Um, That's right, yeah, you're in York. Yeah, I, do some, I do research on you, by the way, as well. <laughs> well, good, good. Well, you, ha- you better. Uh, I think more people should. Uh, but uh, where in Yorkshire are you from originally? I'm from North Yorkshire, so just a bit further north than York, where, where you are. So a place called Richmond, which you might have visited. It's got a nice waterfall and a castle. Yes, yes, I know Richmond well. I'm in. Uh, I'm actually living in Moulton at the moment, so uh, oh, moved a little further out. So yeah, North Yorkshire, the moors, all that stuff. We love yeah. it up here. So, uh, but that's not. We're not here now. We now we've lost the entire audience. So we, we may have to edit this out. But what what we're talking about, and the reason you're on cloud nine is we're talking about a film called Right Here, Right Now, released earlier this month here in the UK, uh, streaming on Sky, Sky Documentaries, and now TV. And I think you were telling me before we started, uh, not out, you can't find it elsewhere, at least legally, uh, but uh, you're, there are plans to, to have a wider release. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, um, so it's, yeah, it's out on Sky, like you said, and now TV. But I mean, Fat Boy Slim is so big everywhere, really, in the world. Yeah. Like he tours yeah. constantly and, um, you know, massive fan base in South America, in America. Mm-hmm. in uh, Australia, Europe, Asia, literally everywhere. We kind of cover it in the film, you know, is yeah. the, these the kind of far-reaching fan base that he has. So, yeah, I want it will be seen all over the world eventually. Um, I'm, and, that, and that's what we're working on. I, I'm sure it will. Now, you've already mentioned Fatboy Slim, and just to get us started, why don't you let our audience uh, know, we, this is how we usually get started on this, uh, on the uh, episode, um, on the show, is... Uh, what is right here, right now, all about? Okay, so there's a um, a British DJ called Fatboy Slim, and he was uh, he's what people call a superstar DJ. Um, that in that he's massive. So like he was like a lot of DJ culture kind of came through the clubs and the illegal rave scene in the UK, and then bands sorry, and then DJ started getting bigger. They started getting songs on top of the pops, and then right. by the by the by the End of the two, uh, end of the nineties, DJs such as Fatboy Slim and Chemical Brothers and others like right. them were having number one albums. You know, like this is yeah. like yeah. from the clubs to yeah. to number one records. So at this time, just as uh, at the turn of the century, uh, two thousand and two, he decided to have a free party on Brighton Beach. So Brighton is on the south coast of 
England, and um, it's 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 Fat Boy Slim or Norman Cook. That's his that's his name. It's his home, and kind of although he's not from here, it's kind of his spiritual home. Yeah, and he threw a free party on the beach. Anyone could come. It was on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, in two thousand and two. And they were expecting around fifty thousand people to attend because the yeah. year before they'd had, they'd had that number. There's fifty around fifty thousand, yeah. and it was you know it was it was kind of it was manageable, and then something happened on the day, July thirteenth, two thousand and two, which meant that fifty thousand people didn't turn up. In fact, a quarter of a million people turned up. So two hundred fifty thousand people rocked up from all over the country and all and, and came from Europe. All came to the beach to see Fatboy Slim, Midfield General, uh, and John Digweed DJ that day. So there's some strange magic in the end. So my documentary is about this one event that kind of it changed people's lives that mm. went there, some for for better or for worse. And it also it changed the way we run events in the UK. It changed dance culture and club culture and electronic music. It changed that forever, really, especially mm. in the UK. And, and and kind of the perceptions around DJs and what they can do. And um, it's just got a kind of a special place in a lot of people's hearts in the UK as a kind of Woodstock. I'm talking about the original Woodstock for right. ravers, you know, this is right. like a, a mass a mass gathering of, of people who just wanted to dance and be free on the beach. Mm. And and it wasn't without its its problems, obviously, with that many people, you will get that. But we co- I tried to cover it in a fair way. So it's about, sorry, it's a long way of telling the story. It's about an event that got out of hand. Yes. That's what it's about. Yes, and we've actually had a, we've, there's, there's been other docs about events that nearly went out of hand. We've even had uh, one of the two uh, Woodstock 99 uh, docs on, uh, which there's an interesting tie-in here because um, uh, Fat, Fat, Fat Boy Slim was there as well. But uh, he, um, <laughs> um, I mean... What one thing that your film does, and it touches on many, as you say, it's a, that I think it's a very good description. There's this this event called Big Beach Boutique Two, right? Is that what it's mm-hmm. uh, you know? And uh, just for me, I you know, you may have figured out I wasn't originally from this country, but I moved in over here in 2001, and in 2002, you know, you just and we'd been here, you know, I'd been hearing things about you know, well, as you said, they'd already broken big a lot of you know this yeah. stuff but you know even growing up you know in the 90s you're hearing things about stuff that's coming from britain you're having another british invasion if you will and uh i mean culminating in my own personal story t- 2002 i'm even in alaska at my brother-in-law's wedding and i've got a guy there asking me about the house scene in in britain you know wow. and i wasn't i wasn't even into it you know but yeah, I, yeah. he just assumed this guy from london must know something about it so it's huge it's uh so maybe you can say because one thing that i think uh, you've gotten some good reviews is that it's a really good you know it really gives a good synopsis of what led up to this event Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe what, I mean, you've kind of already talked about it, but you know, for British, uh, non-British audiences alike, I mean, this is, this is a, as you say, an event of a generation. There's a whole generation grew up in sort of the eighties and nineties and I didn't, mm-hmm. but a lot of these people are about my age or a little bit younger. And, and it's, yeah. it was, this thing was huge. Yes. That's DJs were massive. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It, it was like, they were big in the nineties. But then by the early 2000s, they were having, like like I said, number one singles and like pop hit records mm. um, and, con- and 
taking it over to America. Fatboy Slim did a good job of of mm. exporting that to America, right. which was difficult, which it wasn't such a big part of American, the American music scene in the 90s, not as much as it was in the no. UK. But yeah, what happened is, and I kind of, I tried to chart it in the film, is in, in the late 80s, it's an acid house scene in the yeah. UK. A lot of it's um, underground clubs and uh, illegal raves. You know, uh, yeah. people just in the, in, into the early nineties. People just turning up to a field, sound system, dancing all night, getting shut down by the cops, right. um, and that had a real kind of um, it had a real free energy to it. And so that's kind of where the story starts. It's not where Norman Cook's story starts because Norman Cook, Fat Boy Slim, was in. Pop ba- in a pop band called the House Martins through the eighties. Were- yeah, I didn't even realize that. I know about the House <laughs> Martins, but I had no idea he was. You know, Fatboy Slim was in the House Martins. I know. Yeah, so it, it's cool. So, so he had he he already had, you know, tastes of the music industry and had a lot of yeah. success with the House Martins. And then, like I said, this acid house and electronic music was kind of underground, but it was it was it was gaining traction in the UK with the illegal rave scene, and then and then clubs as well, and then. There was a criminal justice bill that came in that was yeah. imposed by the, the government that said that, you know, they couldn't, I guess they couldn't outright ban raves mm. because um, because I, I don't think they could actually, <laughs> I don't know how they'd ever word that properly. Yeah. So, they, so they, they decided to crack down on raving and people, you know, being free, mm. dancing in fields all night, something that they couldn't control. What's a kind of anarchist spirit of right. acid house and the rave scene um because they couldn't control that that's that's a bit of a threat to the government isn't it and how things run so so they imposed this criminal justice bill and that said that if you have four or five or more people dancing around a sound system <laughs> with with repetitive beats this is literally what it says repetitive beats <laughs> so if you're playing jazz or something mm. like that that's fine but if it's repetitive beats that's how they got that's the wording they used <laughs> and, then, and then they cracked down on the rave scene so people got thrown thrown in prison promoters right, ravers right. and so so then how it changed is super clubs kind of were born and and right, club right. culture became as it became more mainstream in people's tastes so did these clubs started popping up these big clubs and you know mm. it was ticketed and and um that was a whole different culture oh well an extension of the original culture right right and that still goes on today there's massive clubs in the uk yeah um but that was through the late 90s and then by 2002 yeah. when clubs were the norm you know club culture was was big was mainstream really um norman cook fat boy slim as i said uh decided to throw a free beach party and this was not for any other reason than he loves brighton and yeah. he yeah. and he just wanted to celebrate brighton and everything that that he loves about it and um and invite the world down. Little did he know the world actually turned up. Like little, <laughs> little did he expect the world actually turned up. But um, and and that's how we got. To, that, that's how we got there. So I, I, like that is a very reductive, I guess, and and brief overview of of the the dance culture in the UK. But that that's that's the story I. That's the story I. Sorry, that's the journey I took trying mm. to take the viewer on. You know, from the raves. From the early dance culture in the UK, mm. through the mill of the mainstream and popular mm. culture, and and you know, and super clubs, and then one last blowout. That's what it kind of feels like. This this right. big beach boutique right. is like one last blowout before the drawbridge gets pulled up, the line gets drawn in the sand. Yeah. We can't have free parties anymore. 
Yeah. Well, well, people still do, but you know, of that scale. Yeah. So that, that that's the journey for the, for anyone that doesn't know. And then, so I mean, it's 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 quite a journey to go from the House Martins to what Fat Boy Slim be- became. Um, I mean, what is you know what is his genius basically? How would you yeah. describe it? Because it's it's inter- you know he's he's taken this boy from Bromley who's now yeah. spiritual homes in in uh, Brighton, but uh, yeah. it is quite a journey he's on as well. Yes, exactly. What what is his genius? I've thought about this a lot, and um, I don't think pe- I don't think people are geniuses. I think people have geniuses in different parts of their life. Right, right. Um, and and so I think the genius that he had and and, and still has, um, he doesn't put out music anymore. He just plays live shows. But yeah. um, is he's kind of like a crate digger, like a hip hop mm. a hip hop producers approach to dance music right so right, like right. so like he's all That's of his hits like his big hits are like made up of samples of like obscure often obscure soul motown mm. rock psychedelic rock like hip-hop breaks all sorts of vinyls that he's obviously because he used mm. to be a vi- he used to be a record collector Mm. And and he's and he's obviously got a musical brain because he used to play yeah. bass in the House Martins, yeah. and he did loads of projects between then and and Fat Boy Slim, including Freak Power and Beats International, yeah. who were big, you know, big successes as well. So I think his genius in making the records was taking these things that I don't even know how you do that. Like if you, like for example, right here, right now is a, is an orchestral is a sample of an orchestral outro on a song by the James Gang. Do you know the James Gang? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's not. It's it, it's like ten second part of this orchestral outro. That's a and if you really listen to that, even if you wanted to make music, if you listen to that by itself, I don't know how you'd go. Boom! That's the number one. That's a number yeah. one record. And then and then he took a sample from Strange Days. You know the mm-hmm. film Strange Days. Yeah, it's got um, Juliet Lewis in it. It took a sample from that and put it over the top. And and I think, like, on paper, if you looked at any of his hits on paper, and that goes for um, Rockefeller Skank, right. like, which is the sample of Lord, like, the intro of a Lord Finesse song, you know, mm. like, where it's just right about now, the yeah. Fox or Brother. You think anything, like, this, the, the, it becomes greater than the sum of its parts. And if you looked at it on paper, you'd think, well, that's not that's not a number one dance record. But then yeah. you're like, he's got rock samples. In the first album, he samples The Who. You yeah. know, he samples Black yeah. Sabbath. You think yeah. what the fuck, man? Like, like, like that. That it's a strange genius, but it is a genius because it's not like it's not like let's stick let's stick to the rules of having like a a four to the floor beat with some mm. dreamy mm. pianos at the top and a female vocal. It's like yeah. let's take a soul sample from the sixties. Let's take a rock guitar. Let's take let's put some like uh, you know, let's put some like breaks in it from hip hop. So a break yeah. beat. It, it, it's it's a strange thing. And then live, I think coming from the rock world or pop world i think he right. has this natural swagger yeah this natural kind of showmanship that perhaps djs didn't always have or or didn't didn't or don't always have but he's coming from like playing on top of the pops with his band yeah. he's a bit of a <laughs> he gets the crowd going you know what i mean right right so i think yeah. i think between those two things there is genius and i think a, a, a musician who obviously knows a lot about music and he's a record collector Someone like that making electronic music, sample heavy music, mm. it's just a different beast altogether. It's not, it's not, 
yeah, it's a different. It, it, it's just unique, I think, really unique. And then it just resonated with such a you know a sizable part of the population in a generation. It's it's just a it's almost like a perfect storm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I agree with you about the hip hop analogy, and also you know you wouldn't just think, okay, I'm going to take this one very small, extremely small sample or a riff and just yeah. repeat it over and over and over again and lay yeah. a beat on top and all this other stuff that he does that I would never even be able to think about yeah. uh, and think that that and play it for six, seven minutes and think that that's going to be a, <laughs> a, I know, a yeah. hit. But it, but it did. And it is. I mean, he's still, yeah. as you say, he's amazingly popular. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a strange thing. He has a real crossover appeal, like a real crossover appeal that I think is owed to not only the strength of the so- strength of the songs and the and his live show and the club night that he used to run in Brighton, but like I don't know, it's something about the music that it appeals to indie crowds, rock crowds, mm-hmm. it appeals to hip hop mm-hmm. crowds because it's it's the genre was originally was was coined big beat because uh, it was right. a bit different to house that was happening at the time and it's a bit yeah. slower and it's a bit more kind of it's it's quite hard to define I think big beat because. Bands like Prodigy were also called Big Beat by some people, and Kendall Brothers, and and it's 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 yeah, it's a lot of it's it's sample heavy. Like I said, it's it, I think it comes more from a hip hop point, a hip hop approach to making electronic music than than perhaps a trance trance or house DJ. That's what I would say. Wow. Uh, yeah, but yeah, like like seeing like I got I've got enemy covers from the late nineties, like yeah. And he's on the front cover, and you think there's not many DJs that made it on th- onto the front cover of Enemy. No, like no. there's like Orbital, there's, there's a few, but in general, DJs were kind of roasted by the Enemy. Even yeah. in the, <laughs> even <laughs> in those Enemies, even though he's on the front cover, he's, he's yeah. obviously the cover star in the article because it's the late nineties. And it's the enemy. They're so snidey. They're like, it's just as it's music for zombies. You just press play and all this kind of shit. You think, well, why'd you put him on the front cover, man? Yeah, but, well, um, they're trying to sell some, uh, some <laughs> magazines. Uh, so yeah, the cross the crossover appeal is real. And then for him to go and do it in America, to like you know, yeah, to yeah. kind of break America, people thought he was a band. That's the thing. That's the funny thing. People, there's that one intro. Guy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like it's not even a band, man. It's a one-man it, show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I feel like I mean, except we'd get in trouble with copyright, and this never would get released on YouTube. I do feel like we should be having this music playing on in the background, or certainly when we go yeah. to the out, outros and and, <laughs> uh, and whatever. But uh, take a break. But I mean, actually, speaking of which, why don't we uh, give our listeners and viewers a quick uh, early break here? We'll be right back with the director of Right Here, Right Now. Jack Hutchcraft, who also wrote the film. It's on Sky and streaming on Sky and now TV in the UK. But B, if you're not in the UK, don't worry. It's going to be coming your way shortly. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back... To Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Jack Hutchcraft, the director and writer of Right Here, Right Now on Sky and Now TV. Uh, so we've been talking about Fat Boy Slim. Um, 
the culture of the time, what it was all leading up to. I mean, DJs. I mean, I, I even when I even in the early two thousands, I remember my wife was working at a place, and they were really excited. I mean, I won't even I can't probably mention what the place was, but it's nothing to do with music. And they got Goldie to be their big spokesman. You know, wow. And, <laughs> and they were cool. all everyone was like really excited about it. You know, it's and that's how that's where we were with these things. Um, but so this event. Big Beach Boutique 2, it all leads up to this. Your film leads up to it. It's almost a disaster. I mean, the side of, you know, mm-hmm. um, Brighton more than doubles in size with all these mm-hmm. people. Um, for some, it's the best day of their life, and for others, it's one they would rather forget. Uh, and you, you show both sides of that. I mean, how that was, uh, that was a definitive... Uh, well, as you said, you try to keep show both sides and be as objective as possible. But that, is that mm-hmm. a? It's an. In, it's interesting how one event can can. I don't want to say divide. I wouldn't say it's fifty fifty. But there's certainly for a few few people, it was they would rather not relive yeah. that. And then for others, it's the one of the best days of their lives. Yes. Yeah. I, sorry. I just want to pre. Uh, I, is it preclude, prelude, what I'm going to say? Even though I talked about the genies of Fat Boy Slim just a moment ago, that's personal opinion. The documentaries, as you said, it's not Fat Boy Slim isn't the focus, really. It's about the event and the people exactly. that are affected. Yeah. It's not like a kind of um, like a, bio, a biography of Fat Boy Slim and everything exactly. I like about it. So, uh, so, yeah, it is interesting. But you know what? That many, this is why I was drawn to the story. I thought that many people there... That, I'm a journalist, so I, I like I write and I make podcasts and I make documentaries sometimes. So yeah. um, I'm always looking for stories. And I was drawn to this because I thought that many people in one place, there must be some stories there, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. There must be like 250,000 people. Like, and as you said, people, a lot of people I meet anyway, they, they remember it as some amazing, oh, you know, yeah. it was the best day of my life. I, the best, The best gig ever, the best rave ever. And then I just knew that if I went down that route, it wouldn't be true. It wouldn't be true. It wouldn't be truthful because yeah, um, yeah. That it, this is life, you know, that there is light and there's shade, you know, mm. with everything. Yeah. And, and if I watched this documentary and it was all like, oh, wasn't it the best time ever? You know, things were, things were different back then and it was yeah. all, it was all <laughs> jovial. I, I, you know, I would watch it and go, surely that's not the full story. Right. Just the same as if I watched it and it was like, oh, it was so harrowing. Everyone had a bad time. Yeah, everyone got crushed. Yeah. I'd be like, that's not the full story either. Because I, like I said, I, I come from it from a journalistic point of view. Um, and so basically everyone that was there dancing had a great time for, for the most part that I spoke to. Um, and then anyone whose job or most people whose job it was to keep anyone safe or was mm-hmm. behind the organization of it. Mm-hmm. Um, had a pretty traumatic experience, right? To, right. to put to put it bluntly, um, mm. for example, a, a police officer that I interviewed in the film who who was working, yeah. who was one of, because they were uh, only expecting fifty thousand, the numbers yeah. of police were so small. When uh, like five times that amount turned up, it was almost like they didn't they they yeah. they weren't there at all, um. And so he had this, he has this experience that he shares with us, which is really kind of him. 
Um, I mean, maybe if, was, maybe it, like, yeah, if I could just, it must have been awful. Yeah, go on. yeah, well, no, exactly. You can tell he's still traumatized by it. I mean, the, yeah. um, I mean, what I think is, was brilliant about your film. I mean, if you'd told me beforehand, you'd be, you know, there'd be interviews with a member of the city council and a policeman in charge <laughs> of public safety and a guy who in charge of events, I would have thought, I don't know. Uh, you know, but it actually, it play, it, it works really well. They are, they're, they're interesting and it, it weaves in well with the story. So, yeah, thank um, you, man. Thank you. It, because I think, uh, yeah, no, it, it is a very, uh, um, it is an interesting perspective that they they bring to this uh, because they must have. I mean, another side of you must have been thinking, weren't they just so irresponsible for even doing this? You know, in yeah. the first place, and then making that call to go ahead. I mean, I think that you you talk about it in the film. They made yeah. the call to go ahead because they were told the alternative could be even worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they kind of it gets addressed in the film. Norma Cook yeah. talks about it, like. There's that many people in one place. They've come for the gig. If they pull Fat Boy Slim's set, um, like, what? Where are all these people going to go? Yeah, and like, it, it could be, it could be dangerous. Um, and, and I wonder if, if, I mean, if, if people are dancing and having a good time. I mean, yeah. it, that's better than just standing around drunk and high, <laughs> you know, like looking for somewhere to go or something to do. Well, right? I mean, I I wonder too if he was also thinking back to his experience at Woodstock '99 because. I mean that there the people actually crashed a bus into his set basically you know I don't know if you know much about that story but he was there mm. and it was just a I mean the the film was originally supposed to be called Clusterfuck but they yeah. had to change it to Trainwreck because mm. of uh, at the last minute on Netflix but uh and we interviewed the filmmakers but it's like this incredible scenes there they show him you know he looks he looks even more scared than he does in that one scene you've got that yeah, you uh, yeah. that you show uh, uh, in your film. Yeah, I wonder if it did. I wonder if it was it, it was on his mind a little bit. Um, I wonder if it was. What's What's interesting about what, like, it's interesting that you mentioned Woodstock '99 a couple of times because that yeah. came out while I was making this film, and I was. I was in, well, I mean, I've seen. There's about. I've seen a few documentaries. There's that. several. There's way. <laughs> I shouldn't say but, this, but, but there's too many. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I enjoy them, but they, um, but they. It was interesting because I thought it, it, it's like a very similar. Well, it's not a similar story. <clears throat> it's a similar story in that it's in about an event, right? But, right. But Woodstock was all ticketed, yeah. and it was it exactly. was from the perspective it was from the perspective of perspective of people trying to make money off people, jacking right. up the prices of water. You know, the right, infrastructure, right. The infrastructure yeah, exactly. fell apart. The infrastructure fell apart, and. And even then, although I, I believe people do have some certain some mm. personal responsibility, I would say the, the problems were to do with the infrastructure um, and the planning and the money grabbing nature of the people that set it up. And I, I, I would actually give no no blame on any of the bands at Woodstock '99. Mm. There's metal festivals all the time. There's new metal festivals all the time. Right. And they don't they right. don't descend into that. So yeah, that's my view on Woodstock '99. Mine shows, I think, a different side to the same coin of human behavior, crowd yeah. psychology, in that, um, and I think it, it's, I think, and the crowd psychologist I interview, who is actually used to be, was yeah. one of the stewards at the gig, I interviewed another crowd psychologist mm. as well, say that crowd behavior actually prevented disaster there. It prevented crushes, yeah. it prevented drownings. Yeah. People looked after each other because the police and the ambulance, ambulance couldn't get to you. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, it's it's so funny because I listened to your podcast with the people who made 
train wreck, um, yeah. Woodstock 1999. And the, one of the gentlemen said, it was like anarchy. It was like a social experiment in anarchy. And I thought, yes, that's what mine was too. But I don't think he understands the meaning of the word anarchy. Anarchy is actually <laughs> positive. People look after each other. You know, it wasn't yeah. it, like if, if yeah. we're left to our own devices, I see the world yeah. in a way that we look after each other when we need to, you know? Right. And that's what, that's right. what true anarchism is, is about. And, yeah. um, and so, and so that's what I think we got to the heart of, which is like, uh, there was, there are some factors that are, that are at play, you know, people who are from the rave generation, maybe they're into taking ecstasy rather than drinking vodka and sniffing cocaine and having fights. You know, right. that might've, that might've played a part of it. But, a small uh, part. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and maybe there was the nature of fat boy slim and the music and his identity. Maybe people were more loved up in that setting. I think, I think there's something to be said for that. But I do think it's a real, like, miraculous story. It's both a miraculous story because yes. yeah, I agree. I have, I have to acknowledge that one person did die. This woman called Karen Manders, and she was a nurse, and she she'd been to a party after the event and drunk and uh, perhaps drunk, I don't know, but she fell off the escarpment, right? Um, the Esplanade area, and she fell off and she sadly died. She hit her head yeah. and she died, and that was really tragic. And we and that is in the documentary and that was something that i was really adamant on keeping in on getting mm. in and actually building norman cook's uh trust enough that i could ask him about that on camera because it's a difficult mm. thing you know someone dies at your gig it's yeah. it's heavy it's it's heavy and yeah. i and i i don't have i only met fat boy slim while i was doing this project he's not an old friend of mine so yeah i was hard to broach that topic but i think when you when you zoom out a little bit it is a miracle that more people didn't die. It's a miracle people didn't drown. There wasn't crushes and people kept each other safe. And this is what one of the psychologists, the crowd psychologist says, mm. the crowd prevented disaster, which is which is not the narrative that it often runs, which is, you know, mob mentality, which is, right. you know, right. uh, people can't be trusted, that think that things break down mm. and we act like animals which again is another is another misconception actually animals look after each other <laughs> acting <laughs> like animals is quite a good thing we should do yeah. that more often but yeah. you know like i think i think that um i think mine shows a different element to like actually you know pe people together in one place can actually look after each other and of course there were injuries and of course um it, there was a lot of mess afterwards what, yeah. which is one thing that a lot of Brightonians, because I live in Brighton now, I moved down while I was making the film. A right. lot of Brightons talk about that. Oh, did you know the beach smelt like piss for for weeks yeah. afterwards? And I think, yeah, I know that. And I put that in the film, but it's not yes. exactly, that's not the main part of the story. Come on. Like yeah. at the time when the beach smelt like piss for a week, like, who cares? Mm -hmm. But I put that in and I, and I think all these kind of the buildup and the aftermath is important to put in there. I think mm. it's fair to say that, you know what? People do live in Brighton. People do work on the seafront. People do come here for, for holidays. Some people, it's just their home. They've always lived in. All these people coming to one place and leaving it a mess and glass and urine everywhere and what, what have you. You know, these are the people that have to put up with that. I, mm. I, I, I wanted to capture that as well. Like, again, it's kind of, I didn't want to be a buzzkill. I think the documentary is in its nature celebratory. Mm -hmm. But I was also like, um, like I said before, things you, 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 there's light and dark in, in a lot of things, yeah. you know. Like there's 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 consequences and there's 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 the people who you affect. 
yeah. negatively, positively by by any any event like this, by anything you do. So I try to capture that. I think there's a bigger story even in there, but mm. I'm yet to work it out. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I I think I mean just personally, I do find crowd psychology a very interesting thing. So one of the best books I've read was by an American journalist about English. Uh, uh soccer hooligans and you know it was all about it weaved in a lot of this whole psychology side of things um and but and just as there that was of a if it's milieu if you will when that was happening in the 70s 80s you know and not to i think one thing about the woodstock docs is there were two at least two of them one of them really dealt more with the sort of societal side of things and the people we had on weren't dealing with it as much they were looking more as you kind of said the infrastructure and the greed that was behind Mm. that story but there were different things going on in the u.s in the u.s in the 90s versus britain in the you know england in the 90s i think is part of it but it can't it doesn't explain it all but i think as you've pointed out i mean your film your film's also you know it's as you say you've just moved down there in the last few years but it's it's an homage to brighton I would say it's uh it's a it's about this music, it's about this the culture of the time, the 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 zeitgeist of the time. It's about uh it's about a lot of things. It's about it's not a fat boy slim uh biopic, but uh uh you know, I think it uh, touches on it's, it's about crowd control, you know, it's yeah, yeah, about yeah. all these things, you know. Well, th- th- thanks a lot. It's interesting you say about crowd control because like like what I was what I also think is the event is also not only a sign of, you know, the goodness that people can do and how mm. we can look after each other, but also it's a bit of like a cosmic warning, you know, the mm. event was. It was like, a, okay, don't do this again because people, someone died and it was very yeah. dangerous. It was kind yeah. of like, it, 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 as 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 um, Becky, the, the woman that worked for the council says in the film, right. she said it could it would have been a matter of time before they had another event that was similar that could have got really out of right. hand. So right. this was like a kind of the universe drawing a line in the sand and going, listen, okay, you flew too right. you flew too close to the sun this time. <laughs> exactly. but, but but you know, like exactly. it was a, but that never that very rarely happens. Things things yeah. things do go yeah. wrong. And yeah. and this was like a strange this is a strange time where a strange event where it was like this almost went really wrong. But it didn't. But don't do it again. <laughs> you know. I think. I think that's uh, maybe we leave it there, not for the podcast, but for that part of it. I mean, I think that's a very good way to end that. I mean, is this? You said you've done other documentaries, but this is your first big project, is it? Or yeah, I mean, yes. So it was your idea. How did? What came? You know, what? What part of you said? You know what? I'm going to make a doc. I mean, not only just make a doc about this, but it's going to be a. Did you envisage that it was going to be an hour and a half and, sh- and be streaming on on Sky when when it was all said and done? No, I didn't at all. So I um, yeah. So this is my fe- debut feature length as a director, and, and yeah. you know, I directed and wrote it. And um, I've worked on documentaries, shorter documentaries in the past. You know, I've mm. I've, I've been um, producer, director, location scout. I've been right, uh, right. hosted. I've directed. Um, yeah. And 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 but like for a long time, I've written for newspapers and magazines. Right. Vice, The Guardian, Mix, um, DJ Mag, Kerrang Magazine, all sorts of yeah. places. Yeah. And so I, I guess my history is I'm a storyteller, um, and I just find the ways in which the stories can be told the best. So whether that's a podcast or mm. an article, or right, a, right. And um, and so this, yeah, where it came from was, it was the early days of lockdown. And right. I was 
I was looking for ideas as always, and I'd not long been full-time freelance. I used to be a youth worker working with teenagers in London. And then okay. I, and then I, then my, I got made redundant and, um, I, I tried to reframe that because it was quite disorientating at the time. Yeah. Uh, I tried to reframe it as a, Oh, this is an opportunity. Why don't I go freelance full time? Cause I've always right. written and I've always, I've made documentaries for right. a long time and podcasts, you know, on the side of full-time work. Yeah. So I started at the end of 2019, I started working full-time freelance and then I was looking for ideas and trying to expand, you know, how, how can I make a living out of this? How can I, how can mm. I work on bigger projects apart instead of articles every couple of weeks? Um, and this was one where I thought I was watching the videos of the gig because the, the actual concert is, is, has been, yeah, it's, it's, it was released the following year or the same year, maybe as a concert film. And it's great. It's great to watch. <clears throat> Pardon yeah. me. It's great to watch. It's just like watching um, the original Woodstock DVD or any of those festival right. kind of right. DVDs. It's great fun. So I was watching that and I thought, imagine that many people in one place like in the lockdown when we were socially right. distanced. And I thought, imagine that many people in one place. So to keep myself and my girlfriend at the time and, and our housemates entertained, I used to, we used to put it on on a Friday night on the big TV, right. put the, the, the concert DVD on yeah. and, uh, and just like, and kind of pretend that we were there. And, and I, I did think there's a story here somewhere. I thought maybe it's an oral history following, mm. following the people that went there. Maybe yeah. it's like, maybe there's a documentary in it. And so, my idea hasn't changed that much since then. My idea was find the people who went, you know, so uh, the people, there's plenty of them, but find the stories from the people that went, right? the people that organized it and the police that worked it, and also get Norman Cook's point of view, Fat Boy Slim. Mm. Because I thought this means a lot to a different to different people for different reasons. Right. I, 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 could, I just knew that because of, you could see some discourse about it online on, on Facebook mm. and stuff like that. Right. And so... Um, and so I pitched it to Fat Boy Slim's manager, um, oh, Katie. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because uh, I, I was like, I, I thought I could, I thought I could do it all without him. If it was going to be a written article, I thought I could do it without him. It might be quite interesting to be like, he's the kind of, he's the kind of hole right. in the donut that makes the donut right. what it right. is, you know. Right. But, uh, but I pitched it to him. And I thought it'd be good to get, it'd be good to get him involved. Let me, let's see if I can do something. So I pitched it on a whim. One of the many emails are sent out you know that sent out that day pitches half-baked ideas some of them are stuff that i've been working on for a long time pitched out there crossed my fingers went to sleep woke up the next day and she emailed back katie i was like fucking hell i can't believe it like she emailed <laughs> back saying that she she really liked my idea and this wow. was like this was like very beginning stages i said let you know it'd be cool to do uh, an oral history you know whether that whether that's a like a, a article or something bigger. I'd love to get normal. I'd love to speak to normal cook about it. And she said, well, we, we like the idea, but how about, and she really gave me a great opportunity. She was like, well, why don't we do something bigger? And I was like, all right, cool. And then I just disappeared. And I was like, I didn't, it didn't email back immediately. And I thought, okay, cool. And I just worked days on this treatment for a documentary. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, now was my shot you know she's 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 right. emailed back i've got my yeah. foot in the door you know if it never yeah. comes to anything i've not lost anything so i thought i'm going in yeah. <laughs> so i sent her this big documentary treatment which i had some friends of mine like you look over and make sure it all made sense and stuff and um and then she was into it and that was in 2020 and right. um 
and she was into it. And then since then, it's just been a case of my friend, uh, well, my colleague slash friend, Ben, who's worked on documentaries that mm. he's worked for the BBC and stuff. He's a producer, a shooting producer and a great director. Yeah. I spoke to him really early to ask some, for some advice. Like, hey, man, like, I've got a really good opportunity here. Like, mm. can you can you literally tell me what these words mean? Can you tell me what this means? I, like, I didn't study filmmaking in college or school or right, anything right. or university. I studied journalism, so my whole life has been writing. So I was like, listen, mate, I'm going to need, I'm going to ask you a, a bit of advice. And then he was so supportive. He said, well, why don't we, why don't, and I said, actually, why don't we work together on it? You know, he's a producer and mm -hmm. the director. And since 2020, it's just been me and him. And then an editor who came, right. who, who, right. who, who we got on board later on, obviously when we filmed it, uh, it's just been us making it. So two, wow. three, three, three freelancers and and that's that's it and it's um it's been amazing and then and then when his manager you know liked me we met each other we talked a lot and i kind of she liked my idea like i said the idea hasn't changed much it was like the people's yeah. point of view the people that mm. were there not not some um not some genius piece about fat boy slim and how good he is and how uh, right right that so that was another thing that i wanted to stay away from was I, I don't mind these documentaries. I, I, I don't mind them. I've watched a million of them yeah. where they have a lot of other artists or journalists from the enemy right. or journalists right. from Rolling right. Stone yeah. or like all the, the kind of heads from the time mm. talking about, oh, you know, you know, Fat Boy Slim's so good for these reasons. I, I mean, I've always had this. I just don't, I just don't, I find the everyday people, that mm. is a bit of a pejorative term, but... I prefer normal people. I don't think yeah, celebrities yeah. are that interesting personally. And this, this is across all of my journalism. I'm not like, yeah. I'm not like, you know, obsessed with interviewing Beyonce or Tom Cruise or anyone like that. That doesn't interest me at all. I'd rather interview, mm -hmm. you know, Sharon who lives down the road and what's her story. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so mm -hmm. that's, so that's been my approach to this documentary. And I think they like that because fat boy slim is, he, he hasn't got a, he, he's a, he's a, down to earth dude you know he's not like yeah, he's not got yeah. some big ego that needs satiating where he's like you know right. i want everyone to love me for these reasons there was even talk of him not even being in the documentary at all at one point you know yeah. i was around his kitchen talking he said maybe there's a way of me not being in it Interesting. Um, and and then and then we realized well i realized it would be cool to have it would be way cooler to have him in <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, yeah <laughs> and i think it works uh definitely um he's not, he's not really the i tried not to make yeah. him the focus i tried to give as much screen time to um the ravers of which yeah we which you do yeah um the, the ravers as much as we do the police officer the people who work there his manager yeah. and him so so that was it so this is a long way so they weren't even that. precious well i know i was just sorry i just interrupted you but I, they weren't even precious about you know it wasn't like one of these things because i'm i'm aware of these sort of pitches and with other types of celebs where you know you got to get a certain director on board they were happy you you know being the director well, yeah, this 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 was a massive, a massive uh, thing for me because they, I mean, they've worked with Spike Jones. Like, think about well, Fatboy yeah. Slim's music videos. Exactly, like, he's exactly. Worked with, like, the... Some of the best people you could yeah. work with, and so it wasn't easy. I'll tell you that it was it it was imposter syndrome doesn't even come into it. Like, it right. was like, yeah. okay, yeah. I'm going to do this, and it was like, it was like, um, I, do you know what I'm quoting from the film? Yeah. I can't not deliver. We can't. I can't not deliver. My whole <laughs> yeah. life has been building up to this moment. Right, That's what right, they say right. in the film. Yeah, yeah. My whole life has been building up to this moment. I can't yeah. not deliver. So 
I worked my ass off. I learned, every, I read books and books about how to make documentaries. And obviously I have, you know, I'm, I wasn't coming into it totally dry. I've interviewed right. thousands yeah. of people. I've, yeah. I've, 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 I've written for, you know, I've written for years. I've made podcasts. I've, I've made short documentaries. I wasn't coming in, into it cold, but kind of being trusted with this because mm. there's another element to this where it's, it is an amazing story. Like mm -hmm. I'm not creating the story. The story exists and the story is fantastic. Right. It's got, yeah. it's so multifaceted. It's so interesting. And unlike Woodstock 99, there hasn't been any of the documentaries about it. Right. Yeah, did and that I've... surprise you? Cause I, I mean, I was a little surprised that there's, or yeah. Well, I mean, there's... You... go ahead. Yeah. Well, do you know, do you know, I was a bit surprised, but then I think they didn't agree to make a documentary with anyone. Like I think people must have asked, asked over the years. And also yeah. it's 20 years old now that right. that, that event is 20 years old. If I made the documentary 10 years ago, 10, you know, 10 years after the event, mm. I don't think it would have been a as good. And I don't think enough time would have passed for mm. the people involved with it to, I don't know, to be able to reflect in, in, in the way that people can over 20 years and for the world to have changed enough for it to be interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, and that's why Woodstock 99 works. That's why, you know, 20 years is quite a good, mm. kind, a good length of time for people to be like, right. okay, things have changed since then, but it's recognizable. It's not like making a documentary about the fifties. It's, it's, right. I think, I think the early 2000s is probably the most recent you could do a kind of historical documentary like mine. Yeah. Right. Cause if you did yeah. something about the yeah. 2010s, it's not that interesting because no. people still, I still feel like I'm I'm in the 2010s. But um, so yeah, so that's where I came from. So it's a massive opportunity. And do you know what? Like, I've got a huge respect and gratitude for Fatboy Slim and his management, Katie and Gary, for taking a chance on me because it, mm. it's um, I I knew I had it in me, but mm. it was just getting the opportunity, man. Like it's, yeah. it's, as a it's freelancer, amazing. it's just like you to get an email back is like getting blood from a stone sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so it's, um, so it's a great opportunity and I, I think I'm happy with the film. So it got picked up by sky after we'd finished it. So I made it almost wow. exactly how I wanted it to be. So it's, Amazing. Um, so it's, it, you know, it was a bit of, you know, a bit of toing and throwing with some of the execs. So people from his yeah. label and, and fat boy slim himself had a few ideas, which I actually welcomed them all because, you know, I actually wasn't at the event, so there is right, there are right, parts right, of yeah, the parts yeah. of the story that I, yeah. and I'm I'm 32, so I was too young to have been there. Really. Yeah, um, I would have been 11 years old, and so there are parts of me where it's like, you know, tell me everything you know. What do you want the documentary to be like? Mm. And other parts where it's it's Norman Cook. He's a creative guy. I was like, yeah, what yeah. what do you, you know? If you've got an idea, like I'll take it seriously. So it was a bit of to and fro, but in general, I'm very happy with it. Yeah. It is true to my vision, I yeah. think, from a, a very original vision. It's true to that, and um, and then Sky got on board afterwards, which is great because yeah. it, it's like I said, it's almost exactly as I wanted it to be. And no, I mean, it's never, it's never going to be exactly as I wanted it to be. Is no, it? well, you know, <laughs> well, nothing ever is. But I mean, so I mean, how did you? I mean, how do you find? How did you finance this? I mean, it's or did they did. Did uh, Norman Cook's uh, help with this, or is it? I mean, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's often uh, what how no, it didn't, works. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't finance it at all. It was yeah. um, through um, finances called Beyond. Okay. Beyond TNC, and they got on board through BMG Films. His label. Right. His label right. of, of, of a film department. Yeah. Um, 
And so we worked with them. So, I, I mean, I said, you know, it was three freelancers that made the whole thing. Yeah. Like, obviously, we couldn't have if we weren't weren't helped out with the money but yeah uh, as far as the crew goes it wasn't a production company it was it was yeah that's amazing it, 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 it was um and we were chipping away at it on a shoestring before we got the budget so we were filming me and my friend ben we were interviewing people because because you, you work on something to get it to like it was like a passion project and, and until we got the funding it was a pure passion project i bet Honestly, until we got the funding, it was like I was expecting, I was I was braced for it to be pulled away from us, just yeah. because, you no, know, like, you know, they don't owe me anything. You know, I'm not like mm. I haven't got the might of I've got the might of a production company. They could have right. just taken my idea or the idea and and got it, given it to someone else. So, I was braced to be like, well, you know, if if it happens, it happens. Until we got the funding, and then the funding was like, you've got this much money to make it, and then you can go and right. go and do it, and then. A great thing, all the archive footage in it, um, which is yeah. very archive heavy. There are a lot, there are quite a few interviews now, but it's archive heavy. And fat, I remember I went to Fat Boy Slim's management one day, and he's like, "You should come and have a look what tapes we've got." And I thought, "Okay, cool, maybe they'll have a, the odd hmm. VHS tape." And I walk in, and and uh, his management, Anglo management, is on a boat. Which is cool. It's right, cool. <laughs> the, the HQ's on a boat on the tent. Yeah. And um I walked in and there's just boxes and boxes and boxes of dusty VHS and Betamax um tapes in there, right? Oh from my God. from like nineteen ninety two to like now. Well, Holy till shit. people stop doing it. Stop stop filming them. And some of them have some of them have like a good description, like Fat Boy Slim being interviewed on MTV Base or whatever it says. Right, right. And then some of them are just have just got nineteen ninety five written on it. And you think, <laughs> all right, let's have a look at that. <laughs> so it was like honestly, it was like it was a treasure. It was like finding a finding treasure, buried treasure, and some stuff that had been filmed that had never been seen. And I can kind of tell by the stuff that was on there. You're like, wow, like that. I wonder what that was for. That, but you know, he never got you know he never got released. Some so stuff maybe- was like gone. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, maybe you can tell some of our listeners and, and viewers, what are the, what's, you know, what are the kind of things that they're going to, that's never been seen before? That's something they always highlight, right? With these things, never before seen <laughs> footage. But I mean, what kind of things are we, you're already describing it, but. Uh, yes. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, well, do you know, there, there is, so for the gig itself, so like I said, it was released on a DVD, a mm-hmm. concert DVD, which is great. And, um, but we obviously have all the rushes. Mm the isolated cameras from the day wow. uh, so we really had fun with that because That's the cameras are running the cameras are running from the afternoon till till after everyone leaves pretty much right and we really have fun just watching it through trying to pick different angles different people to focus on different kind of ways to tell the story from different points of view from the concert and also i mean spoiler alert but finding some of the interviewees the ravers in the archive footage was <laughs> well was there like, was well, a uh, you know i've seen parts of my life you know? you know i've seen the film and i was like wait a minute that does look like the 20 year old younger version of that person you've just been talking to but i'm not wasn't 100 percent sure because some of us don't <laughs> age as well as others in, in over 20 years but uh um yeah no that was that was quite quite impressive i mean it, it gets me i mean there's uh, how did you find these people I mean, oh, you're a okay, journalist, so, so I guess that's part of it. You, you're experienced in tracking people down and things. But, uh, you know, it's amazing because you, then you build these stories uh, from, yes. from all these people you track down. 
yeah yeah definitely so um sorry to go back to your archive question and the yeah, archive exactly. is basically from his career from 1996 until 2002 whether that's tour in japan yeah. whether that's um you know their album release tours, their right, right. you know gigging in America, going to Red Rocks, playing with the Chemical Brothers, exactly all the, exactly. all this stuff. Some stuff yeah. has been seen, some stuff hasn't. So that's what the other archive is. Mm. It's great fun. If you're a real Fatboy Slim fan, you might have seen some of it, but um, for most people, it's it's hidden gems, I would say. Um, and then and then how did I find the people? So Facebook's pretty good. Facebook's yeah. a good tool. Like I mean, Facebook's yeah. inherently quite. A bad place to hang out i think sometimes but I, in general yeah. for finding people it's great yeah. and so for talking meeting new people for me as a journalist i use it a lot and um and so it was a lot of facebook groups a lot of like brighton mm. music groups brighton right right you know brighton locals brighton notice board that you'd post mm. in there and start speaking to people or you'd look on twitter or i'd look on and then i had a brainwave of asking fat boy slim this is when i built a relationship with him right asking him to set up an email address um, called bigbeach at fatboyslim.net. And that was, I was like, mate, like, can you do me a massive favor? Because I'm getting some good stories, but I've yeah. got a feeling the best ones I, I haven't quite found yet. So yeah, I yeah. said, do you mind posting on your social media? He's got 7 million followers across all of them. Mm. Posting on there, has anyone got any stories? And this was an important part, photos or video. Photos would have been, right, was, was hard right. to find. Right, um, because right. people were off their head and they had like a dodgy old camera. And right, it was they... before smartphones. So exactly. Know, so yeah. people, some people had digital camera photos, but barely any. Yeah. So I said, can you post on your social media and kindly request, has anyone got any photos from the Big Beach Boutique 2 or any stories? Email into here. And she gave me access to that email address. Just, just me access. Just me. That's so amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And what did I get? thousands and thousands of emails because <laughs> there's 250,000 people who went so right, it's like, right exactly and, and there's thousands of emails which i liked and i enjoyed and i spent days reading them ones where there's just like i had the best time i was dancing on the bus stop and you know yeah. I, I, I was taking loads of ease and i snogged this you know snogged this bloke and we were swimming in the sea and these are <laughs> lovely memories where you're like that's cool thanks for sharing <laughs> and then you'd even get people emailing and going like Oh, I remember the traffic was really bad. I'm a, I live in Brighton, and the traffic oh. was all the way to Gatwick. You mean you, you've had a bee in yeah. your bonnet for twenty years about the traffic? I was like, thanks for sharing, thanks for sharing. And then you get people going, uh, like you know, people talking about the rubbish and the piss and the glass afterwards. And right, yeah, right. I, I hear you, I hear you. Yeah. And so there was all that, but mainly it was people saying how much of a good time they had. Mm. Um, just and that was great to read because I thought I, that that reinforced my belief in the project i was like this is good this yeah. means a lot to a lot of people right and right. and then it was me sifting through those but a lot of phone calls a lot and yeah. meeting people in cafes in brighton because i moved to brighton yeah. around the same time um meeting people in cafes and having a chat with them and working out is their story interesting enough not as harsh as interest they're all interesting but does it belong in this film you know does it belong in this story of this film because it could you could have i could make up i could have a whole series of people talking, sharing their drug stories or, or their stories about how dance music changed their life. And they're mm. really good, but I wanted to find some different kind, something that had a bit of an edge or something, a bit of depth that was unexpected perhaps. And so yeah, yeah. as you remember, I don't want to spoil too much, but yeah, as you remember from yeah. the film, the people that I focus on have got a kind of 
there's a different element to their story rather than just well as well as i went down and had a good time but also yeah. one of the one of the people that emailed in was a police officer in fact i think he was the first person that emailed in to fat boys that fat boy slim email address yeah was that police officer that i interviewed yeah the police officer emailed in and he was like he obviously had a traumatic experience so he wanted to get it off his chest and so i thought it's important that we show that side of it as well so that's how i found all the people it was a lot of work <laughs> but it was fun work i love yeah. i love it i love speaking i love speaking to people it's great yeah. and hearing their stories and and kind of going to their houses sometimes and having a chat with them and and kind of finding yeah that's just all part of the fun of it i think but then you also i mean like you said you and i think you concentrate on the like you said the lack of a better way of putting it everyday people uh but you also get john sim and simon Pegg and nick frost how did that happen <laughs> so uh it it might be it might seem funny when you watch the film like wh why are they in this film you know yeah. simon Pegg and nick frost and john sim um but it just become clear why they're in it um yeah they i just knew that they were there on the day you knew that yeah, yeah. i knew that i knew they were there because of i saw them in footage i found right. them dancing i found them being interviewed and stuff amazing and and then and then just sh you know shooted my shot and just emailed them and you know like obviously working with fat boy slim and the nature of the documentary yeah um it was what well, it was welcomed by them and Vernon yeah. Kay's in it and Carl Cox exactly. is in it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was welcomed because it, it's kind of, I guess it's something that they're not used to talking about in interviews. They might be talking about, they might be on their press junket doing, you know, talking about right. their latest film or the latest right. Um, right. TV series. But I was like, no, no, I don't want to talk about much apart from this event and Fat Boy Slim and the late nineties. And, and they were interesting because where they were in their careers at that time was also very exciting mm. and kind mm. of um, auspicious time yeah. where it's like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost had just released Spaced and it had done right. really well. And yeah. then they, they were uh, about a year or two later, they released Shaun of the Dead and then they really became big. Yeah. Um, John Sim had been in Human Traffic, which was a bit of a cult classic clubbing right. film in the UK. And, and then he went on to do amazing, massive things. So it's 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 a, a special moment. It's a strange moment in their careers where they're like mm. moving into bigger things. So to have them talking now and have the archive footage of them was great fun, you know. And um, one of the rules that we stuck with, apart from Carl Cox, who is a Brighton lad, and he he, I I like him a lot, and I think that he brings mm. a lot to the early rave scene part of the documentary because he wasn't actually at the fat boy slim gig yeah. um apart from that everyone that's in the film was at the gig so yeah the kind of yeah. motto between me and my editor owen um was if you weren't there if you weren't there you're not in the film you know like like if you if you weren't yeah. at the gig you weren't in, you're not in the film and that kind of I think that really puts people in the moment. It's not like commentators talking about it, but you know, looking back yeah, on it as a as a yeah. as a kind of moment. Even the commentator that we do get, a commentator is it maybe that's a harsh way to put him. The journalists that we get, the two journalists that we get, um, mm -hmm. Ralph Moore and Nick Stevenson, they both worked for Mixmag, and they were mm -hmm. both there on the day. And Nick and Nick Stevenson, exactly. Nick yeah. Stevenson was like, this was my first big assignment, and he that was his first big assignment for Mixmag going to the big beach boutique and, and raving it up. And now he's the managing director 
of of mix mags. You think like, come on, like that. Even that's an interesting story. And he gets to give like a a cultural journalistic yeah POV yeah. on 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 why it's important for dance music. So yeah. you weren't on the beach, you're not in the film. That was that that was our kind of thing. And, and Owen, my editor, um, I learned so much from Owen and from Ben. I learned so much, and they supported me. And they they just it's it's such a collaboration when you make a film, and when you do most creative things, it's a collaboration. And they were just, uh, they were they were cool, man. They 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 broadened my, they broadened my mind. They opened my creativity mm. in, in ways that I didn't know it could be opened. And they kind of supported me, and they were patient. And like I said, because it's my first feature length, there are gaps in my knowledge. I didn't study film. I mm. I, I, I I I'm a journalist really, by trade, and so. I just had to lay it on the line with everybody. Every even the, the sound hmm. mixer, the the grader, um, the guy who worked in the graphics, everyone at the uh, you know where we where we did the post. I was like, I'm going to ask some stupid questions, okay? I'm going to ask some <laughs> really stupid questions. I said, yeah, yeah. and the, uh, about abbreviations, about you know right, right, acronyms, yeah. about terminology that I don't understand. Um, I have a vision for this. Sometimes I can't articulate it in, in the way that other filmmakers might. Mm. So I was just laid my cards on the table because I thought I'm not, I just thought it's just going to be counterproductive if I try and blag my way through it and, and, and not, yeah. and, you know, and, and pretend that I know everything about making films. I just thought that's not going to work with this because we need to make the film. I can't be bullshitting people. So I was, I, I was honest and I was vulnerable and I was like, listen, yeah, be patient with me, please. I, I'm, I'm working it out, but this is my first big job. And they were all really patient with me and they were really supportive and helpful. And it was like a crash course in how to make a feature, fi feature film. Yeah. You know, this, it, every single part of it, not every single part of it, but most of it was, was a learning opportunity for me, mm -hmm. which is great, which is like, it's like, what my 10 years of being a journalist has been building up to, right? It's yeah. like, it's all about yeah. learning. And I learned how much I didn't know, which is always hmm. helpful because you yeah. think every time you have a bit of a, bit of an ego about you, a bit of a swag, oh yeah, yeah, I think I know what I'm doing here. And then you get, bam, <laughs> knocked back down. And that's quite right. helpful. That's good. I make mistakes. Yeah. I learn from yeah. them and I move forward. And that, that, this was a really big thing for me personally and professionally. And I'm glad that people are enjoying it. Well, uh, <laughs> I certainly did, and congratulations. And I, I would say I never would have guessed it's your first feature. Um, I think oh, nice. it's, uh, and I think it's good to. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not originally in the film world either, but um, kind of not really am now in many ways. But uh, I, sometimes it's good to just be the one that asks the what may seem like a basic, stupid question, and you sometimes find that these people think, well, wait a minute, that's actually a good point. We've never yeah. thought of it that way, you know? Um, so I think... Uh, and and no what, what, what I learned from being a youth worker, the only stupid question is one that is unasked. Okay? Right. Yeah. There you it's go. Sound, said like a good youth worker. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're betraying your, uh, previous, your past. Um, so what's the plan? I mean, besides enjoying this and living on cloud nine for a little bit, uh, what's, do you have any, you know, another doc, another feature... What, yes, what so, are you thinking? So um, I was thinking about this earlier, all day, in fact. <laughs> I'm working on stuff, man. Like, I, I am basking. I'm on cloud nine. I'm basking in the glory of something that I'm really proud of. Um, 
but I'm writing. I've you know wrote something for mm. ID magazine last week, and I'm writing something for Hook magazine at the minute about anarchism. I wrote about the early goth scene last week um, in the mm. 80s in London, and I I just I just keep I just keep going, man. I, I've, re- I've got um, I've got big ideas for feature docs, and now I've got contacts and kind of yeah, the right. the not the momentum perhaps to kind of realize them and get them made and maybe get them made i've got i i i'm not short of ideas i'll tell you that but yeah. i um i've got ideas for shorter docs i've got i've got a podcast coming out next year sorry this okay. year which mm-hmm. i worked on all all through last year okay um uh, which i'm really proud of i'm really happy with so we 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 edited this film in 10 weeks it, it was a quick edit amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah and um and so all that I did quite a, quite. A, it was a very productive year for me last year. So, I've got the podcast coming out in a few weeks, months, maybe. Who knows? And then, um, and then I'm open minded. I'm open to anything. If anyone's listening, <laughs> they want to work with me. I am a free agent. I'm looking for for people to collaborate with. You know, I've I've got so many ideas. And it, do you know what this has given me personally is a big a big stamp of approval. You know, mm. like like not that I need not that I needed it, mm. but perhaps but it just makes you think i'm on the right path and it's better to be on the beginning of the right path than on further down a path that you don't want to be on right that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's a quote that i read and and it's true i feel like i'm at the beginning of this, this uh, my documentary making path and I, my mind is open and I'm, I'm alive and i'm reading and i'm watching and i've got loads of ideas i'm trying to work out how to tell those stories visually or is it an article or is it a podcast um yeah it's cool and i've run a, i've yeah it's cool. I, I feel really, um, I feel really optimistic about the future, and I feel like it's big. It's a, it's it beats getting a real job, right? A normal job. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, and then in Brighton, if anyone's listening, I run a month. I started a monthly night uh, of talks about music and subculture. So we have different musicians, authors, okay. filmmakers. Okay. Uh, we have of everyday music obsessives. They get on yeah. to the stage and they share. They talk for fifteen or twenty minutes about cool about musical subcultures. So mm. that's what I've, that's what I've started down here to kind of get myself out of my bedroom and meet real people in the real world because when you do what I do you spend a lot of time on the laptop. <laughs> yeah, not, exactly. Not great for my uh <laughs> for my understanding of how things work. So mm. yeah, so I'm I'm doing all sorts man. Like I, I think I think the difficult second documentary I have got I've got it, I've got it in mind but Hey, another idea might come along tomorrow that's even better. Okay, well, and they can. There's links to a lot of that stuff on your. You have an eponymous uh, website, don't you? We can put a link to it in the show notes, I think. But that's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Get uh, in touch. Yeah. Give me a shout. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Check it out. Uh, I have. It looks there's some interesting articles on there that I'm gonna. I didn't have a chance to read yet, but I'm going going to check those out. <laughs> Uh, and just to say, uh, Jack, it's been great to have you on uh, Factual America. Uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, fortunately, we're coming to unfortunately we're coming to the end of our time together. But just to remind our listeners, we've been with uh, Chuck uh, Jack Hutchcraft, director of Right Here, Right Now. He also wrote the film, and as you've heard, did a lot of other things. Uh, and it's <laughs> on, streaming on Sky Docs and Now TV now in the UK, and will be. Well, just check your local listings, as they used to say. Uh, it will be, <laughs> be near you some, some, at some point in, in the near future. Jack, thanks so much. Great to have cheers, you on. Cheers, Matthew. Lovely to meet you, man. Great to meet you. And uh, 
I do get down to London a decent amount, so you know maybe we can meet up sometime, uh, in, or at least we'd certainly love to have you when you've got uh, your second feature doc in the can. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Great to have you on. Uh, take care, and we'll uh, best of luck with everything. Cheers, man. Cheers. See you. Take care. I also would like to thank those who helped make this podcast possible. A big shout-out to Sam and Joe at Intersound Audio in York, England. Big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show and that everything otherwise runs smoothly. Finally, a big thanks to our listeners. Many of you have been with us for four incredible seasons. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. Please also remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.